an um, amazing experience and my first real experience of 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 fame or being known um, because people were aware in, in Aberdeen that I was on the show and particularly when the show went out and I just got recognized everywhere. And, and that was a really important lesson as well to not get too big for your boots um, because it certainly impacted me. It, it def- definitely gave me a little bit of an ego at the time. and But thankfully that was knocked out of me. And That's David talking about his attendance on the Deal or No Deal TV game show here in the UK. And it's so bizarre because I've never spoken to anybody or met anybody that's been on that show. And it's been a, an ambition of mine for at least, or oh, I must, it must be at least five years that I've wanted to get on that show. And my wife Claire and I have actually been um, audience members twice uh, with the whole purpose that, you know, once you're an audience member, you know what happens kind of in the background, you get the feel of it, you see yourself standing there, but the dream never came true. But it was a real dream <laughs> and an amazing coincidence that David did appear on the show and he talks about it. And that little bit of insight he just shared with us about his ego having been developed as a consequence of being on the show. So I suppose in some regard, I'm glad that I didn't. If that happened to me, my God, how would I have dealt with it? But nevertheless, this is actually only my first proper interview for weeks. Well, actually months on this podcast. And obviously we're all in lockdown right now so this has been recorded the first recording of my podcast of an interview during lockdown which is really really weird but David being a coach he provides some really fantastic tips and ideas and I I bear my soul in this one in terms of some of the things that I've been struggling with during lockdown particularly when it comes to watching the news and the media and stuff anyway go and have a listen You'll learn about David, his background, his story, his business, and also he gives some really fantastic tips on how you can deal with some of your emotions, anger maybe, habits that you've developed during lockdown. Enjoy. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast, David. How are you today? Great, thank you. Yeah, pleased to be here. Finally. Hey, finally. Well, no problem. Um, obviously, we're recording this still in lockdown. So um, even though you know people are supposedly not that busy, they are actually busier than ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm sure you've been doing lots of video calls and trying to fit everything in in your, your daily routine, as well as exercising when you want to or not, you know, when you can type of thing. Yeah. So, uh, but I, this is actually my first, I did a podcast interview just before we went into lockdown and this is my first one during lockdown. So, ah, interesting. Uh, so thank you very much for being up for doing this during lockdown. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> much appreciated. Um, okay. So, I'm I'm really interested to talk to you today, especially with everything that is going on. 
Um, but I'm going to start with the first question because I want to know a little bit about your history. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about you um, yep. and where you started. Where were you born? Uh, if you moved around, um, you know, where do you now live? What about your education? And then we'll just take it from there. So over to you, David. Cool. So thank you. Um, I was born in Lincoln in England um, in the early 80s. And uh, my father was in the Royal Air Force. Wow. So we had a fairly typical nomadic um, forces upbringing. Um, I spent a lot of time in Germany with my family, um, 10 years overall. And then um, everything changed in, or for us as a family in 1994. Um, up until then, my childhood had been um, really quite joyous. I mean, it was a beautiful place to grow up. Um, it was very sheltered and it was we were, we were very outdoorsy and there was a great community um, that we were part of. Um, you know, I guess it was like an expat community. And um, yeah, it was such a, a wonderful time. I mean, I completely took for granted the, um, the consistent weather that you get over in the continent. And, and up until May 94, everything was good. And then my whole world felt like it shattered because my mum and dad sat myself and my two sisters down and told us that they were going to be separating. And and when I say it was a shock, I think that's quite an understatement because, I mean, we really did not see it coming. They had sheltered any issues that they'd been having completely away from us. So when they told us, it was, I mean, the, the biggest surprise of, of our lives. Mm. And and through that, I had to make my first tough decision mm. um, uh, at the age of 12. And they gave us the choice of who we would go and live with. Oh, and God. also, in addition to that, um, the fact that we were going to be leaving Germany, we were going to be moving to Scotland, somewhere that we'd never, I think, even visited before. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, just the, the subsequent two to three years was an incredibly difficult and challenging time um, because everything changed in our world. It was the first time that I, I guess, discovered that, that bad things can happen to you. Um, I mean, nothing really significant had happened to me up until that point. And it, it, I guess what emerged was, was probably my first big life lesson that, that everything is temporary. Um, I was quite fortunate to come to this realization that whilst you can you know, go through all these difficult and negative experiences, that they don't last. Mm-hmm. And that we can enjoy the times, you know, when things are going well and, and, and I guess really take advantage of them Mm -hmm. um, and make the most of them in the knowledge that they won't last, but at the same time, not dwell on the bad stuff and the difficult times because they're not going to last either. And that's really where I, 
cultivated my own sense of positivity and um and i guess enjoyment for the moment mm-hmm. and from there i left home at stage of 18 in 1999 um i was i guess a little bit fearful about doing that um at the time we lived in a place called elgin which is a small it's classed as a city but um it's really a, a small town mm-hmm. um in the north of Scotland, in between Aberdeen and Inverness. And I moved to Aberdeen for university. And, um, yeah, it was the best decision I think I could have made um, because it allowed me to really start to, I guess, find out more about who I am, start to take responsibility for myself as an adult. Um, and my, my, I guess, late teens and early 20s was really about enjoying life to the fullest um i guess being away from my dad who was um i guess tried his best as a father but ultimately was was quite a selfish individual um and 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 being part of a, a forces family where your your parent is quite regimented um meant that you know i really kind of let loose as a as a young adult and um i tried a lot of things out, um, made a lot of mistakes. Um, but you know, I appreciate now that that was all part of my journey and, and a learning process. Um, I, I did a lot of funny things that I guess was really just linked to my desire to be liked, which came from, you know, my upbringing of moving around and having to, um, to, I guess, introduce myself into new situations and new communities mm-hmm. and um and that's kind of stuck with me this kind of like there's a bit of a show pony in me someone that wants to entertain someone that wants to you know be liked but also to, to i guess to bring joy and enjoyment to other people as well mm-hmm. um and i i tried to get an accountancy degree for about seven years before finally saying right this isn't for me right <laughs> um, and um and packed it in um i mean by that point i'd been djing full-time for about four or five years um i, I kind of fell into it um right. and um and i've done it ever since apart from you know right now mm-hmm. um but it's it's been a it's been a i guess a skill that i've learned that i've turned into a side hustle um, but also, really, it's a it's a hobby that pays well, is, yeah. is how I look at it. Um, so there was a real pivotal moment in 20, 2006. I just appeared on a TV game show called Deal or No Deal. Oh, no! Yeah. Oh, my God. You won't believe... <laughs> I, I used to love Deal or No Deal. Really? Yes, and... My wife and I have managed to get on the show in yeah. the audience twice. Oh, wow. Um, right at the front as well. And we were always on camera. And the whole purpose of it was to get on the show, you know, to keep applying. Mm. And I, I must have applied a dozen, t- half a dozen times, I think. Wow. And I never got on it. I'm so disappointed it's finished. But I oh, always wow. wanted to get on the show. I was absolutely <laughs> convinced I was going to win the big money. And, um, yeah, really sad, really sad. Oh, please tell me about your experience. Yeah. I can't believe it. This is brilliant. I, 
Look, what a, well, yeah, very synchronistic. Um, oh, my God. It was one of the most unique and um, incredible experiences, uh, particularly uh, an amazing learning experience. Um, I, I guess I saw the show for the first time at the end of 2005, and because I've, oh, I guess, always been someone that's willing to give stuff a go, mm-hmm. I looked at it and thought, right, this is a TV show that if you get on, you're, you're going to win, unless you, you know, you're really unfortunate and mm, mm. You, you you knock out all the big numbers, you could go away with a decent sum of money. Yes. So I thought, right, I'm just going to apply. And so I sent my application in and very quickly got a call back to say, can you come to an audition in Edinburgh? Wow. So I went down to Edinburgh. It was, uh, it was a Friday, late November 2005. I stayed with my, my pal Woody. Uh, we went out and had a big night out. So I rocked up to the, it was the Thistle Hotel near Haymarket Station, really hung over, um, hugging this big bottle of water. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the first thing they did was they wanted everyone who turned up to play a quick game of charades. Right. Um, so I think that was to kind of get everyone a bit loose and, and just to kind of, you know, see who the people that really stood out were. So I put yes. my hand up first and just said, right, come on, let's get this out of the way. Picked. Um, picked Beyonce out of a hat and then just basically, you know, grinded my, yeah. my butt in front of a few people's faces. Oh, that's brilliant. It was, it was such a laugh. And then, um, and then I did a 10 minute interview in front of camera and then left. And mm. um, I didn't hear anything until I think it was maybe late January. And by that point I'd forgotten about it. Yes. And it was a Sunday evening. Um, with I was with my girlfriend at the time, and this random phone call comes through, and it was a producer from the show, and she said, "You know, we we loved what we saw, and we'd love to have you on. And can you can you come down um, in a couple of weeks' time?" And I was like, "Yes, <laughs> let's do this." Oh, and um, yeah, so I got the I got flown down on the Wednesday. Um, so the process for bringing people into the show is they, or what they did was they brought six new people in every two days. Mm-hmm. So I was one of six. Um, they took us to the studio after picking us up from the, I guess it was me first at the airport and then a few from the train station. Mm-hmm. And um, so we got to sat in the, sit in the audience for two shows. We, we got to see the behind the scenes, the, the green room, they called it where everyone gets changed and where your wardrobe is. And, mm-hmm. and, and I remember walking into that green room for the first time and it was, it was silent. And then all of a sudden this noise just came at us and it was all the contestants just buzzing after their latest show and, you know, you're getting introduced to everybody and it's impossible to remember everybody's names. And it's just like this whirlwind of humans. And um, it was just that first introduction to the buzz of it was mm. was intoxicating. Yes. And, and then being able to sit in on the show, you know, being there, my first real experience of, of, of TV and seeing behind the scenes. And it was fascinating. And then in the evening, everyone got put on a bus back to the hotel. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And this was typical every day. You you would arrive at the studio normally about midday and you would leave sort of 10, 10.30 at night having filmed three shows. And when we got to the, the hotel, within the, the contestant group, one person's nominated as the daddy. 
And oh, yeah. that's the, the person who takes responsibility for the other contestants. Right, so right. the daddy got up and said, right, when we get to the hotel, everyone goes and gets changed. We come down and meet in the bar um, after about 20 minutes and the evening will commence. So we got checked in came downstairs everyone sat in this huge room in this big circle and the daddy got up and did a speech welcomed us newbies um told us about these unofficial rules that they had around um being aware that press can sometimes turn up and be mindful of what you say um every person who wins money i think every person that won over two thousand pounds you had to put money behind the bar that night Wow. Everyone who won, I think, less than a thousand, everyone basically chipped in money to then top up their their winnings. Oh, oh. Um, which didn't happen very often because most people won some cash. And um and then each person who played that day got invited up to do a talk, a speech. And then the the that it was all finished off by everyone standing up and doing the hokey cokey. <laughs> It was so random, but so much fun. Yeah. And then, and then it was party time. And I mean, every single night, we, I think, I didn't go to bed for the entire three weeks that I ended up being there. Um, not not consecutively. No. Um, I never went to bed before four a.m. It was just every night party time. Wow. And um, so at the end of that first week, um, they would. They would, well, they flew me home, so I'd be home for the weekend, back down for another week, um, and then I had a week off because they did two weeks on and one week off. Mm-hmm. And then that last week I came back, I ended up playing on the Wednesday, mm-hmm. which was my 32nd show, and came away with £18,000. And, um, yeah, it was just an um, amazing experience and my first real experience of 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 fame or being known mm. um because people were aware in in Aberdeen that I was on the show and particularly mm. when the show went out and I just got recognized everywhere and and that was a really important lesson as well to not get too big for your boots yes. um because it certainly impacted me it it def- definitely gave me a little bit of an ego at the time and but thankfully, that was knocked out of me, and 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 also I I, I made a mistake because I um, I sort of half cheated on my girlfriend with one mm-hmm. of the other contestants, and mm-hmm. um, and that led to that relationship ending, mm-hmm. and um, and that was a harsh lesson to learn as well. Mm. Um, I mean, I didn't sleep with the girl, but we we had a kiss, and um, I think I was just completely caught up in the experience because it was such a bubble. Yes, and almost quite cult-like. You, you, you. At the time, you only really saw the the the, the, the contestants mm. in the hotel, or you were at the studio, and mm. and and at the time, I was still, you know, technically a student, but I wasn't really, yeah, you know, I wasn't committed to the course. Um, no. So, so yeah, after that, wow. it was. Um, I mean, it did. It, it certainly served me well in many ways because, through I guess being known, um, it it certainly helped my my DJing career. Even though I got to the point of deciding that I didn't want to do it full time because I had to decide whether or not I would really commit to it. And that the way I saw, it, I would have to 
have gotten into music production and mm-hmm. and probably moving away, maybe trying to you know get some work in Ibiza and places you know DJing hotspots. But I just felt like that wasn't my. I just didn't have the energy for it. I, no. I wasn't really excited by that. But at the same time, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. So um, I did a lot of research. Um, I, I essentially just started talking to more and more people around you know, what was out there and what they thought about me and what my attributes were. And and recruitment kept popping up as uh, as something I might consider. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd already attended both the universities in Aberdeen. So I'd started to build up a really good network unknowingly. Yes. And when I eventually got a job in recruitment, um, that served me really well. And mm-hmm. I did agency recruitment for just shy of five years, but got to the point where I felt that it was the whole market was very saturated. I guess I came into the recruitment industry quite late in terms of it being in terms of the whole industry's maturity Mm -hmm. um, and and really got disillusioned by it. And they're really quite fed up and decided to go in-house. And um, the four years I spent in-house were, so enjoyable i love that job i love the nature of it i love what do you mean with in-house so um i went and got a job with bp first of all right uh, as an internal recruiter right got you and um and and that was a big lesson there as well because um i actually lost that job and um and uh, through through making a couple of mistakes and it was a harsh lesson to learn about um, the the nature of big corporates and and how they are very black and white with their with their rules and and how they operate. Um, essentially, what happened? I was transitioning from being a, a contractor to staff, but because I was moving into the supply chain team, because an opportunity had come up, I, I started off by recruiting for the such the supply chain and finance departments. Mm. A great relationship with the supply chain team. And they asked me to come on board, um, but I, I, I'd made a mistake in my CV. Unknowingly, I'd put um, the qualification that I ended up going away with from Aberdeen Uni. Um, it was just the wording was incorrect. Mm-hmm. But then in addition to that, and the worst part was um, I, as I was transitioning roles, I got a notification to submit an invoice for my contract role as a recruiter. Yeah. Um, and without thinking, just did it on autopilot, and but and then got paid for that in addition to my first month's salary. And before I realised what I'd done, I got pulled into a meeting and was told that I was being um, suspended. Right. And immediately after that, realised what I'd done, corrected the mistake, but um, but the mistake had been made and that led to me losing that job. And I was absolutely devastated. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Because I just, I knew it was a great opportunity um, to work for a company like BP. I loved working there. Mm. I was amazed at how, I guess the perception I had when I went in there was that I would just be another number as part of this, you know, big machine, but it was, the complete opposite was true, and that was because they were incredibly efficient at internal communication, and 
it showed me the importance of communication um, yeah. from people to people, but also from a, a wider organizational sense. And you essentially everyone fed into the um, the structure. You know, you gave the you were doing what you were working on and then that was disseminated down from the top so you you were overloaded with information but you had the choice to connect with the information that was relevant to you so it made you feel that you you had a voice that you had an input into the whole and and that was really amazing it's then empowering the individual yeah and yeah. um since that point and working with a variety of different organizations in in oil and gas drilling, in manufacturing, in accounting and finance, in um, in training organisations, um, I've still yet to see an organisation that communicates as well. Wow! Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, apart from I guess the 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 the, the organisations that I'm involved in now. Sure. Uh, they're the they're they're the two exceptions because we're we're smaller teams and and the people that I'm working with, apart from my one to one clients, are, are coaches. Mm. So we get what you know what great communication means and the impact sure. that it can have. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you had quite a colourful career then with mm. many different facets of experience and working inside organizations working for yourself um so what what do you think has been the biggest or if you said what were the three things that you've kind of learned through all of the different roles that you've done um you know working with people working in organizations working for yourself i mean what what has it given you, basically? Because, of course, as you know, because of the role that you do now, all of these experiences were gifts, weren't they? Mm, absolutely. Um, they were gifts on the way, including, you know, your mum and dad splitting up, including moving country, you know, moving to Scotland, all of that, the university course that you didn't really, in the end, decided you didn't want to do accounting. All of these things are gifts on the journey, but of course, you don't know that at the time that you're in it. You know, Absolutely. including making the mistake with the invoice and the and whatever, all of those kind of things, including the relationship thing. All of those things are gifts that prepare you for something later yeah. down the road, don't they? Definitely. So what if what what do you think you've taken away from those? I'm kind of putting you on the spot. I apologise. No, no, what have no, you so taken away from, if you were to sum it up in three things, what what have you taken uh, away, David? I guess it's it's difficult to sum up in three things because I've learned so much, particularly over the last three years. Um, I guess in part um, gratitude um, because I've I've no regrets. Um, I'm grateful for all of the experiences, Brilliant. and and look back on them with with that lens of gratitude and appreciation because it's ultimately got me to where I am now. Mm -hmm. um, resilience is is one. I mean, I 
I have a greater understanding of the depth of resilience that I possess because in addition to the challenges that I've mentioned, um, I also lost five jobs in a row mm. um, from 2014 to 2018. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, predominantly because of the economic climate in yes. Aberdeen, uh, because of the oil and gas downturn. Um, uh, yeah, I lost five jobs on the bounce. And, and in particular, one of those experiences was more challenging than the rest because it was it occurred four weeks before my wedding. Um, I got told that I was going to lose my job on my birthday. And I just, but, but at the same time, it was a blessing because it gave me uh, a window to really focus my attention on. I knew I had four weeks to go and secure the next opportunity so that I could enjoy getting married. I could enjoy going away on our honeymoon and ended up with three job offers um, and took what I felt was the best one at the time. And and it certainly was because in 2016, when I was um, about to become a father for the first time, I had probably the most powerful insights um, since my my parents dropping that bombshell and i was working for a company at the time who basically were selling tax avoidance schemes and i was in a business development role and i i it really was kind of outside of my comfort zone but also i didn't really connect with the value behind that um but i felt like i had to get a year under my belt so that then i could move forward on to the next thing and it I was working from home, so I had a lot of space and time to think. And in particular, we were in Spain for a couple of weeks, and I read this book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and it was the first like self-help book that I'd ever read. Yes. And it sparked a thirst for knowledge in me that I had just lacked up until that point. I'd reached right. the age of 35 and really not connected with this idea of being a uh, uh, I guess a forever student, and it, it was like all of a sudden this door had opened, and at the same time I realised that what was really important to me is is to help people. Mm-hmm. It's I get so much joy and energy from helping other people. Um, I recently heard the term "helpers high" for the first time, and really resonate with that because that's absolutely what I get from from what I've. I guess, done in the jobs that I've done in particularly now. Mm-hmm. And through that insight, I discovered coaching. Right. Um, and for me, coaching felt like the answer to the question, what do, if if retirement was never an option, what would you do differently? What's the one thing that you would do forever? And coaching felt like the vehicle to fulfill this ambition to help people for a living. Right. Great. And, and okay, so reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad mm. um, gave you those insights, I guess. Yeah. But why coaching at that time? What, what, had you come across it previously in your careers or? No. So where coaching emerged was probably a month or two after that holiday, I went and met with um 
my now friend, mentor and colleague, Alistair Gray, um, down in Edinburgh. We met, caught up for lunch. And Alistair is this ray of light. He is just one of the most amazing, positive, energized humans I've ever met. And I came away from that lunch just buzzing mm. because it was like there was more of him. That's the best way I can describe it. And he had found coaching um, the year before through quite an esoteric experience. He was at the time, director and shareholder of a recruitment company in Edinburgh called Advanced Global Recruitment. But he went through the shamanic ritual and came out of it with a completely new perspective and knew that he had to go down a different path. He was then introduced to coaching through his wife, Ilaria. She trained with a lady called Michelle Armstrong in Edinburgh, who'd been delivering coach training face-to-face since the early 2000s after training with um, an Australian guy called David Rock, who... Um, oh, I know of David Rock, yes. Yeah. Ne- so he, neuroscience, yeah. Exactly. So he yeah. current calling the term neuroleadership. Yes, yes. So um, Alistair trained with Michelle, and um, and then they came together to form a company called Mindful Talent to take what she was delivering face-to-face online into what is now the blended learning format. And I'd only heard of coaching in the sporting context. So Alistair basically introduced me to coaching right. in the context that I now know. And then in 2018, I trained with Mindful Talent um, and it was a genuinely transformative experience. And and when I started the course, the word transformation was used. And what was interesting was that I noticed this high degree of skepticism in my own head. I was saying to myself, is this, is this really true? Is, is, is it transformational? You know, um, I didn't believe it. And then um, went through the 20 the week program and learned so much about myself um, because that's a huge part of the course is is raising self-awareness and a huge part of coaching raising self-awareness raising personal responsibility Mm -hmm. um, learning the tools the incredible tools and and new skills and learning how to listen better making the big shift from being someone who channeled their desire to help people by really advising or offering advice or or kind of putting my agenda first to being a coach and someone that actually puts the person on the other side of the table at the heart of the agenda mm. and and listening holding the space yeah slowing down learning what the right questions to ask or even when not to ask a question at all because the power of silence is one of our most powerful tools when we deeply communicate with another human being and when we really offer them the space so that they can access deep insight and learn things about themselves that they've never had the opportunity to access before because the amount of times since um, I've came through the course that someone has told me something they've never told anybody else is just amazing. But that's in part because they've never acknowledged it themselves because they've perhaps never given themselves the space. They've maybe never had the kind of deep quality conversation that is required to access 
these kinds of transformational insights. And, and also, they've perhaps never either trusted themselves or been able to trust somebody else, mm-hmm. ha- have that kind of honest, vulnerable conversation. So I am just so grateful for being able to do what I do now. I see it as a privilege. Yeah. Um, and and that I can kind of bring my energy because to that to that kind of conversation because I feel like I've unlocked this immense sense of purpose around what I do now. And I know with certainty that this is the thing that I could do forever. And I'm just filled with joy around that, that oh, insight. Brilliant. It's yeah, it is really, really amazing. And, and, and equally grateful to my, my wife who has been the kind of the stability in our family, being a teacher, mm-hmm. um, and she's really allowed me to go and kind of pursue this sense of purpose. And, you know, we've had to go through a huge amount of difficult times over the last six years with all the jobs that I've lost, with with having to start from scratch and, and try work towards building something that I know with certainty will help us to fulfill our ambitions as a family and also yeah. my own personal ambitions. Yeah, and yeah. the thing is, you're... As a as a as a male, mm. I understand that particularly if you've got a young family and you want to make sure that you're able to provide for them. Mm. Um, but and at the same time, you have this desire to do something for yourself rather than work for an employer mm-hmm. with the fear and doubt that it's going to work or not. So yeah. you've got all of these different challenges coming at you to kind of, you know, decide, well, should I get a job? Because then there is certainty. Uh, well, because I would challenge that because mm. for me, what I've learned is that there is no certainty. We can, we can find certainty in situations um, because one of the, amazing insights I came upon last year working with my own coach was how certainty can energize us. Certainty can give us confidence or at least the perception or sense of certainty. Mm. We can take energy from that. We can put trust in that that then allows us to move into uncertainty and uncertain situations where, which is where opportunities to grow exist, opportunities to progress, to step outside of our comfort zone exist, which is how we grow. But equally, some of the more powerful lessons that I've learned, again, going right back to, you know, my father not being there as part of his job, he would, when we were growing up, he would be away for six months. And yes. we wouldn't, the only communication we would have is these blue letters, these blue envelopes um, that you would send back and forth because we didn't have internet, you couldn't communicate over the phone. Um, but that lesson about the importance of showing up as a parent and being there has also driven me and driven me to deciding in addition to knowing that the risk of having a job is is almost riskier in some ways than actually creating something for yourself because then if you've got one source of income you're only ever your notice period away from that disappearing yes so 
the risk of working for myself really melted away. And I suppose, and, yeah, you're right, because of all these jobs where you've been made redundant. <laughs> Mm, so, totally. so there is no there was no certainty, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> yes. exactly. But it's given me the opportunity to really connect with what is important in life to me, um, and 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 kind of given me permission to say, right, I'm going to go now create a life that that is aligned with that, that yeah. is aligned with those values, um, so that. I can be present for my family, that mm. I can serve the people I want to serve, so that I can actually also serve myself, because by serving myself, I fill my cup up so that I've got the energy to go and do all the things that I want to do, I, to achieve all the things that I want to achieve um, through being a father, through being a husband, through being a coach and a leader. Um, so that, you know, I can be happy, ultimately. Yeah, that's the goal, isn't it? Um, mm. The thing is, I mean, happiness is a, is a, a really important thing in people's lives. Um, mm. Totally agree. And I, I was listening to, um, I'll give you a few seconds to take a breath because you'd be doing fantastic, doing loads <laughs> of the talking. Thank you. Um, just to, sh to share a little story about what I discovered last year, I think it was sometime. Um, I was listening to an audio book, which somebody was narrating a book that the Dalai Lama had written. Okay. And they were discussing happiness. And I, ha I never finished it, listening to it, but I will one day, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. there was a thing that I took from it, which is, they didn't actually say, it, but it came to me that what, and I came up with this equation, which is happiness, which is doesn't equal mm. fear and doubt, right? Mm. So it's fear and doubt that's stopping us from having any happiness. So then I started looking at things, listening to people, about why they weren't happy. And my wife and I delivered a very short eight week course voluntarily, locally, um, on behalf of Action for Happiness, right? Something my wife had been looking at and she said, do you fancy doing this? I said, yeah, sure. I mean, the result is we made some really lovely friends who we meet about every three months. But in the process, we learned a lot about the definition of happiness. You know, what does it actually mean? And that doing delivering that course where we were just facilitators delivering the content that was already prepared but in the process of delivering the content of course we learned a lot ourselves mm. I, I listening to people that what stopped them from being happy was their constant thoughts around fear and doubt right and you can apply that to anything and it's it's the one thing that people walk around with most of the time. So, and I, I want to talk about certainty a bit more with you, mm. particularly as we're in this COVID-19 coronavirus lockdown period in the, on the globe. Mm. And <clears throat> I, I think 
this is where this certainty thing comes in. This is what people are searching for. Have you come across Tony Robbins's Six Human Needs? I'm very aware of Tony Robbins oh, um, and and admire him. Um, I don't think I've come across the Six Human Needs. You, no. You've been to UPW? I've not. No, no. But oh, I've got okay. plenty of connections that have. And um, great, great, great. Yeah. yeah. So I. That's when my transformation happened in two. I said sixteen years ago. So two thousand and four, I went to my first UPW in Amazing. London, mm. and discovered my got my transformation at that event. Awesome. I could tell you many stories about it, but <clears throat> the one thing I came away with, and has been with me for all those sixteen years, when I l listen to people, I can detect these. You know, these one the two human needs that are most prominent with them at that moment in time. So the mm. first one is certainty. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one, which is paradox, is uncertainty or variety. Mm. Human need number two. Mm -hmm. Number three is significance. Number four is uh, love and connection. Mm -hmm. And then the and then the last two are optional, which is learning and growth which is you know where you talked about being permanent students now yeah uh, when you discover that when you were 35 i i discovered it when i was like 44 <laughs> and um so a few years later than you but and the and the last one is um well it's it's, it's like kind of altruistic so doing stuff for people like volunteering for example mm, yeah I forget what it calls it now it's just gone out of my head but <laughs> it's basically doing stuff that you don't get paid for that you mm. do because you want to do it you know yeah. so it's kind of compassion for other people and and stuff like that but anyway the first two are really interesting because there's certainty and uncertainty so in in covid19 era there is loads of uncertainty mm -hmm. being thrown at us all over the place. Yeah. And what I've noticed is that what people want to do is find certainty in the uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a saying, we have two sayings, uh, expect the unexpected mm -hmm. and um, expect the worst so you won't be disappointed. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, that sounds negative. But it's realistic, you know. So when you say expect the unexpected, when something unexpected arrives, you're not surprised, mm -hmm. right? You're not surprised it's not going the way that you had expected it to go. Yeah. So, so let's talk about, I want your, your perception because it's your new career that you've created. Mm. And how can people out there deal with the answer, apart from my tips, but... I want to hear from you, is how can they deal with the uncertainty that's being thrown at them every single hour of the day at the moment? Yeah. Well, number one is, I guess, being aware of how your brain works. The, the, the left side of your brain, that rational part of your brain, will always 
come up with an explanation for what is going on. It will rationalize your experience with words. And and it's been proven scientifically. I think I heard this in a book called Psycho-Cybernetics because there was an experiment that was done. I think it was, uh, I forget exactly who and, and the story around it. But the experiment proved the, that the right side and the left side of the brain do operate very differently. And knowing that our brain will literally make up a story to help us understand what's going on, whether it's true or not, is really powerful. So understanding that as a starting point mm. helps us to then understand that we have a choice around, I guess, where we put our attention, what we think. And then we can, I guess, make choices with David Rock, I think it was, came up with the ACT model, which is awareness, choice, and trust. So everything starts with awareness. Once we become aware of something, we can make different choices around it. But also we can trust ourselves to make the right choice. We can trust in sometimes other people or in a process. Um, and in, ter in practical terms, you know, cutting down, I've seen this, you know, in many places, and I think it's important to reiterate, but being mindful of how much time you consume news and and being aware of the agenda of news and media that is to sell their product because ultimately they are a business. There's an amazing book called Factfulness that, um, that highlights this, um, written by a Swedish health professor who's no longer with us called Hans Rosling. Fantastic book to help you see the world for how it really is, not just the view you probably have of the world from when you left school. Um, but being just aware of what you consume, because that then influences what you think. If you consume too much negativity or allow yourself to consume too much stuff which sparks fear and negativity in your own mind, that, that's not healthy. You know, thinking about, you know, asking yourself the question, how is this serving me? Mm. Is this is this making me feel better or worse? Yeah. Just simple questions like that to check in. Um, but also the power of presence, you know, being present, being mindful. Um, I try and practice meditation as, as often as I can, even in small moments, to just, again, clear the space. Because um, that's really what particularly meditation can do, is to just clear your mind of the thoughts that are coming to prepare your mind for new thoughts to emerge so that then you can start to be creative. But also knowing that the power of positivity and the things that you say can also influence your state of mind and your state of being. That if you think positively and feel joy, feel happiness, feel gratitude, feel appreciation, in that moment you cannot feel anything else. You cannot feel negative. You cannot feel fear. So just that general awareness around, you know, what you're thinking, knowing that what you think will then influence how you feel, and knowing that you have a choice, you have control, you can choose to think and feel what you like. And one of the most powerful things we can do is just talking. Yeah. Talking to another human being and being honest and vulnerable about how we feel. And that is difficult for guys because of the ego and also the culture that we have in the UK in particular about, you know, stoicism and, and being, um, you know, this, I guess the classic stiff upper lip, British stiff upper lip and, and, and that 
to share, to be vulnerable is weak when it's actually the complete opposite is true. Really brilliant ideas and concepts. And it's, I think for most people, so hard to do. Mm. So if, I mean, particularly now, I believe, firstly, I mean, what you say about being vulnerable and you talk about guys, when you, okay, I want to avoid watching the daily news briefings. Mm. For some reason, I'm compelled to still put it on and watch it, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel, even if I miss it, I feel some sense of loss that I needed to have watched it. Mm. Only for the reason to get agitated and annoyed with the speakers and the way that they are presenting in a politicised way to make them look good in the mm. eyes of the British public, when actually a lot of crashing and burning has been going on and we have done a very poor job in this country about preventing the amount of suffering that has resulted. And because also that people have become immune now to the figures, right? So everybody go, oh, great, it's only 160 deaths, right? We must be, it must be working. 160 deaths, that's a lot of people, you know. Mm. If you put it into context of the figures aren't even right, you know. So there are <laughs> lots of hidden figures behind the scenes. Mm. And I'm just giving you an example of how somebody like me can get worked up who should you know, with all the training that I've done over the years, over the past 16 years, the knowledge that I have should be in a better place to be able to not really get affected by it. Mm. So if you said, apart from don't watch the news, yeah. it's really tough to do, right? Mm. So I don't have the news on all day. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to it anymore. When mm. it first started, I had it, even when I was working, I had it on, you know, 24, I had Radio 5 Live on, so I could hear everything that was going on because mm. I was like addicted to it then. And then I went, enough, right? So I, I did get awareness and go, right, I don't want to listen to it. But then five o'clock comes around and I went, right, I want to see what that's going to say. You know, now it's like predictable. In the early days, it's like, I really want to see. And I still want to see it now. And then if I... And then I got annoyed because then the, at the weekend, they changed the time to four o'clock. You know, it was like, what the hell? They didn't even tell us they were going to change it at the weekend, you know. And <clears throat> I'm just kind of sharing with you honestly what's been going on in my head. Mm. So for people like me that are kind of semi-addicted to wanting to hear bad news because <laughs> that's all it is pretty much all the time. What's the one thing I could do differently about that? Well, I guess in part is just become aware and ask yourself that question around you. Know, how is this serving me? Because it sounds like it sounds like it's there's there's a bit of it that's linked to your own values and what's important to you. Mm. Um. But but equally practically, you're you're in the habit of doing it. Yes, you're in the habit of thinking those thoughts. Mm. 
And it's incredibly difficult to break a habit because the way that our mind works, that our brain automates as much as it can. Mm. So we don't have to spend time thinking about all the things that we do. So instead of looking to break that habit, instead thinking about, well, what are things that I can do to focus my attention on instead that are going to serve me? Right. Nice. I like that. There's an amazing book called Atomic Habits, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Mm. Um, talks a lot about, you know, human behavior and and the reason why we, we form habits and mm. um, the science of habits and also what we can practically do to make changes in our life that ultimately move us towards serving ourselves and I guess then the people around us more effectively yeah i like that i i do follow uh, a guy an american guy he's in california now uh, called leo babuta okay and uh, a site called zen habits okay and i did i did read his book about habits and you know why they get created and how you can break them and all. I, I know all this stuff do you know what i mean <laughs> it's just so weird and so annoying that you can fall into this pattern mm -hmm. that you then go, how do I get out of it? And I guess I'm being devil's advocate to a certain degree because, I mean, this is a genuine issue with me, okay? So I'm not <laughs> making it up. And at the same time, I want people that are listening to this podcast right at this time during this period mm. that maybe they can take something away from it and start just being curious about mm -hmm. how and what they what what patterns or habits they've developed during lockdown that yeah. isn't serving them right at this time do you know what i mean totally and there's an exercise that i could recommend mm -hmm. um again to raise that self-awareness you can have a bit of paper put a line down the middle mm -hmm. at the top write supportive habits or helpful habits yes and on the other side, unsupportive or unhelpful habits. Right. And then just list all of the things that you're in the habit of doing that are either good for you or not good for you, that detract from your experience. Right. And then from there, say, right, well, what's the top three on either side? Mm -hmm. And then from there, pick just one and choose to focus on that for the next 21 days Mm -hmm. and say, right, the supportive habit, I'm going to do more of that. And the unsupportive habit, I'm going to cut that out. Right. But then also consider, you know, how you can make it easy for you to do that. So, again, coming back to Atomic Habits, there's um, an idea that he talks about habit stacking. So thinking about, you know, times in the day where, you, where it'll be easier to do more of that habit that you want to do more of or to cut out the habit that you don't want to do anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and ideally, if you can replace that with something else, then that's more powerful. Um, additionally, telling someone, you're giving yourself that accountability. I mean, there's a whole heap of stuff that you can do to make it easier for you to do more of the habit that's working for you and to cut out the habit that you don't want to keep doing. I, I love that and I love the exercise and I'm definitely going to do that. So thank you for that. And the only thing I would 
challenges the last sentence you said, which there's a heap of stuff you can do. I don't want to do the heap of stuff. <laughs> I, I know, exactly. But, that, but that's why you know, that exercise is really powerful because yeah. it gives you that opportunity to just focus on the next thing. Yes, yes. Rather than getting overwhelmed by all the things that you can do. Yes, yeah, totally. Because if there's so much to concentrate on, you won't do anything. Mm -hmm. But I know already that I've, I've changed one thing this week. So that will definitely go on the list of something I have started. Amazing. Um, so I guess it comes back to, you know, what can you, what can you stop doing and what can you start doing, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, that will serve you a better place. So I'm definitely going to work on that, David. Thank you very much. And Amazing. Hopefully, and I'll let you know how I get on, but hopefully people will, you know, take it on board as well. So anybody that's listening, please get in touch with David and, and let them know what you're working on right now um because that that's brilliant thank you very much awesome. so so tell us now if if it's okay tell us a little mm -hmm. bit in a bit more detail about the business stroke projects that you're involved with because i know you're doing various several things mm -hmm. um which is amazing so yeah tell us a little bit about it yeah with pleasure so um, the thing I'm most excited about at the moment is a partnership that I've created with uh, my business partner, Gillian Thompson, um, called Heart Centered Leaders. So Gillian and I are both um, trained and experienced coaches, and we both work with leaders, particularly leaders who feel unfulfilled and uh, misaligned with what's important and, and in many ways probably lacking a sense of purpose. And we, we got together at the end of last year and, and, and the synergy emerged and, and I felt inspired to ask her if she wanted to create something together. And she said, yes. So initially what we were going to do is create something offline because we both love the great outdoors. Um, we understand through experience and also research the, the power of being out in nature from a learning perspective and how much more powerful it is to learn outside rather than be in your typical classroom or, or corporate environment. Um, but with COVID-19, um, the, the blessing that that has created and the opportunity is to is to sharpen our focus um, on what's important right now. And Heart Centered Leaders is going to be uh, a community, an online community for us to connect and coach um, decision making leaders right. who we understand through the research that we've been doing over the last four months by interviewing over 50 leaders that they and, and this isn't just leaders, but generally, you know, we crave connection. Leaders crave connection with other leaders because the role of the leader is incredibly challenging and isolating because the buck stops with you. It's also a real challenge for leaders to be authentic and be honest and vulnerable mm -hmm. because in part of how they've learned leadership that I've been surprised by the amount of leaders and the the vastly higher proportion of leaders who have not received any investment in their own leadership development. Yeah. And that, in many ways, has caused the, the decline in productivity in the UK over the last several decades. That you know, fear-based command and control leadership has really been the predominant form of leadership. Yeah. When actually, 
if we were to move to a more empathetic, heart-centered form of leadership, then we're going to give people the opportunity to feel empowered, to find a sense of purpose for themselves, and then unlock a level of energy that is going to enable, I guess, people en masse, that's kind of part of the big vision, to be more productive or to feel more productive, to feel successful, to connect with why they do what they do and actually live it out. So we want to, you know, create this community to bridge, or I guess to fulfill this need that leaders have to connect with other leaders from different industries, from different sectors, from different locations to have different perspectives, but also to bring coaching into it because we just have this incredible, immense belief in the power of coaching at giving people the space that they need to be able to think differently and to access new levels and depths of creativity to then move them to achieving things that they didn't think were possible. So, yeah, we have, I mean, our our purpose statement is to empower generations of heart-centered humans to be the best that they can be and to enable the best in those around them. But we're starting with leaders because of the influence that leaders have in their organizations, in their communities, with their families. And the hope is that if we can impact more leaders, that will have a ripple effect that will then also enable us to start to focus on emerging leaders and then also in education, because ultimately this is about educating people on a different way of being, on a better way of being. Wow. And so what you tell us about the online thing then. What are you doing online? So, so we're using a platform called Mighty Networks. Uh, which is a community-based platform. So we're going to house our community within there. It's oh. it's a it's a monthly role in membership. Oh, okay. So uh, members will pay a membership fee each month. They can choose to pay on a roll monthly basis or on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, the annual fee will be a discounted fee, um, but they can come out of that at any time, but they'll still be liable to pay for what they've committed to. Yeah. Um, but we're we're starting small. We want to start off with a founding members group of probably the minimum 10. Um, And we're going to hold weekly group coaching calls, which is going to give them that space, but also that certainty that that's the space that they can have for themselves. Members can come to as many of those calls as often as little as they like on a monthly basis. Um, And then from there, we're going to look at how we can, build out this offering and create a bigger and bigger impact. So are you creating like cohorts of 10 or are you going to just have 10 and you're going to have those for the next six months or whatever? Or Well, we're going to start off with a founding group and okay. then as we continue our own outreach process of interviewing and connecting with more leaders, yeah. um, we'll look to start to expand the, the community. But we're going to be, I guess selective in some parts around you know who we bring in because we don't want i guess leaders who might be seen as competitors you know coming in we're ah, okay there's still some questions to answer i think again around how we're going to build it out right, um, right. whether we have different cohorts or whether we build out a kind of community as one i think there probably will be an upper limit to the numbers that we want to have in the community um because we want to be able to give as much value to the people that are involved. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, a lot of this is still to, to evolve. So will it be, sorry, just one other question. Will it be like a mastermind group type as well? Or in for part, having leaders to connect with each other as well? Yeah, yeah, in part yeah. it will, because we want to connect these leaders. We want there to be shared perspectives. But at the same time, the ethos will be about coaching yes. and not advising. So there'll be an element of teaching as well and, and teaching leaders how to come at, I guess their peers from an empathetic, heart-centered coaching mm. perspective, mm. so that then they can take that into their world, into their organizations, into their communities, and mm. and they can, you know, learn how to be better, more heart-centered leaders. Brilliant, brilliant. And what what else? What else are you doing? Um, so I still have my my one to one coaching um, yes. business and one to one coaching clients. So generally, I'm working with leaders and and how to get out of their own way mm -hmm. and to fulfil their potential. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, helping them to clear away all the limiting beliefs and and all the stuff that is holding them back, which is generally you know in the mind, yes. but also to give them permission to really acknowledge what it is that they really want and then support them in going and achieving that. Yes. Um, in addition to that, and be, I'm gonna go through a rebrand around that because I've been calling myself the BD coach, but I'm actually gonna use the term winning going forward. So using my name, but with a Y. Oh, nice, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, so that is, that's also in the works as well. Oh, brilliant. Um, and then the other work that I'm incredibly proud of is my work with Mindful Talent. Uh, Mindful Talent are a, a coaching and leadership um, training academy. And so we train coaches and right. we also train leaders in adopting a coaching leadership style. Um, both the courses that we run are 20-week programs, but they are, I mean, it's the most powerful transformative learning experience I've ever been involved with. And I'm so proud to help the organization grow and expand and fulfill our I guess joint um ambition to get to the point where the word coach really melts away and it's just part of who we are as empathetic compassionate human beings um that's, that would be good actually I think that's that's a great yeah great goal to be able to do that absolutely yeah yeah, I like Definitely. that. And also, we've got a, we've got our own membership community for the trained coaches and leaders um, called yeah. Cutting Edge, which we're looking to grow and expand as well. Um, and in addition to that, um, we've also launched a campaign called Realize Resilience, where we want to empower a million people to realize their resilience, whilst also raising funds and awareness for food banks and mental health and youth empowerment projects. So if people visit www.realize-resilience.org, right. they'll be able to find resources, interviews with some amazing people like Michael Neal, who's an incredible coach over in the United States, Dr. Lucy Hone, who's an expert in resilience, and a whole bunch of world-class professionals who are experts in their field, but also in resilience. So um, we're trying to create a movement around this. If um, we're going to be posting solidarity selfies and um, yeah, we want to get this out there as far and wide as we possibly can um, because we want people to realize that innate resilience that we all have within ourselves. 
And especially at this time, right? That's especially at yeah. this time. This is really why this exists, mm. is because of the situation that we're in. We want to, this was the way that we felt that we could really help people. Yeah, yeah. And then anything else? Um, that is it. I mean, there's a lot going on. But, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm reading your LinkedIn. What about the, the improvement project? Oh, sorry. Yeah, God, I nearly forgot about that. So yeah, the improvement. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> How could I forget? So the improvement project is um, is a podcast that myself and my good friend Sean um, we run. It is a bit of a hobby, but you know, it is a space for us to learn, to to interview guests, to you know, really help us to share what we're learning in our own learning journey. You know, we see life as a constant improvement project where we're working on ourselves all the time. So, mm. yeah, that for me, it's a bit of fun. Um, but, yeah, the Improvement Podcast is where you'll find us there. Um, where you'll find us with Heart Centered Leaders is heartcenteredleaders.co. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've got, there's so much going on. It's amazing. <laughs> How easy it is to forget. Well, David, there's so there's so much going on with you at the moment, which I congratulate you on. So Thank tell you. us how can people get in touch with you? That's probably the easiest thing. How can yeah, they find absolutely. where can they find you and get well, in touch with you? Well, LinkedIn, um, I'm I have a community of fifteen thousand plus followers on there. Um, so please feel free to connect with me, um, particularly if you're a leader who resonates with the idea of being a heart-centered leader. Um, but also you'll find my contact details on our Heart-Centered Leaders website, which is heartcenteredleaders.co. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'll include all of those links in there. Have I forgotten anything or not prompted you enough? <laughs> no, I think we've covered as much as I think is relevant right now. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share all this and share this passion and energy. No, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And um, just for the listeners, we, we normally, my Skype recordings that I do, are audio only, but we decided, seeing as we're all in lockdown, it's nice to see people's faces on screen. Absolutely. Um, so we've been doing this on screen, and and your your radiate positivity, your great smile. Uh, I can see you love what you do, and mm. it really comes across through through my screen. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much for all the tips. I will definitely start my list today. And let me know. Let me know how yeah, you get on. Yeah, I will. I will let you know. And um, I'm going to get this podcast out as quickly as possible so people can do the same thing too. Wonderful. Um, So thank you so much for your time. I I really, really appreciate it. Um, And uh, we should definitely keep in touch. Mm. And um, I look forward to all the great things that, that you're doing, my friend. Take care. Thank you. Staying Alive UK. Share your story. 